0: one-on-one podcast my name is Monica Holland and I'm a certified GAPS coach and nutritional therapist and thank you so much for joining me I'm here to interview health experts share healing stories provide practical tips and answer your questions to help you on your healing journey I'm very honored to interview a very special guest today my guest is Svetlana who is a registered homeopath and holistic health coach and specializes in PCOS. She's passionate about boosting uh, women's health in quantum leaps and helping them become PCOS symptom-free naturally. Um, Svetlana developed PCOS in 2011 and after a decade of trial and error is presently symptom-free. As a result she qualified as a classical homeopath an NLP coach a yoga instructor and uses those tools in her practice to bring about tangible results. So together with Svetlana we are going to explore hormonal issues men and women struggle with and offer some practical tips and um, there will also be a part two to this podcast where we will answer the questions from how to GAPS community members so watch the space Uh, So if you are listening to this podcast, make sure to check out the second part. Svetlana, there are many women listening to our podcast who struggle with PCOS and some of the women struggle with their hormonal health, but they might not be aware about PCOS. Could you briefly explain what is PCOS?
1: Of course, uh, it'll be my pleasure and thank you so much, Monica, for having me today. It's an honor and I'm very grateful for this opportunity. Um, So PCOS stands for polycystic ovaries syndrome. A syndrome means a collection of symptoms. So PCOS is a metabolic disorder that affects hormones and specifically reproductive hormones in women and thus it impacts the reproductive cycles. So in developed countries, about one in 10 women is estimated to have PCOS, but 80% of them are undiagnosed. Oh
0: wow, 80% are not diagnosed? Correct. Wow, this is this is actually a very shocking statistic, but somehow it doesn't surprise me, mm-hmm. to be fair. Um, and I'm talking from my personal experience with unbalanced hormones and various worrying and sometimes, you know, painful symptoms.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I can only say that uh, for so long I've accepted my many of the symptoms because I think we were taught that th- these symptoms are related with hormones and this is what it is and we should accept it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, you know, it's been accepted that our periods should be heavy, that the menstruation pain is normal, mm-hmm. uh, that feeling irritated or even, you know, extremely moody <laughs> is part of, you know, oh, this is the part of the month. Like, yeah. wing, wing, right? Yep. And, and that every woman goes for it. But mm-hmm. you and I, we both know that it's not normal. So let's help our audience to understand how to diagnose PCOS and what symptoms are clues towards towards that diagnostic?
1: I absolutely agree with you. All those PMS kind of, you know, menstruation related symptoms have been normalized, but it doesn't mean they are normal. Mm. So um, there is no official testing protocol for PCOS, but generally, women need to fulfill two out of the three out of three criteria. And the first one is eliminatory, and that one is hyperandrogenism, which means higher than normal levels of androgens. And those hormones can cause acne, hair loss, or hair thinning. They can also cause unwanted hair growth on the face or other places where men typically grow hair. So that is the key feature in PCOS, and if it is not present, then... It will not be diagnosed as PCOS, but as a different type of hormonal disorder. The other two criteria, um, and uh, it can be only the second or the third or both second and third, the second one is excess um, is uh, so sorry. (laughs) So I'll I'll just just lay out the process uh, for you. So those excess androgens they halt the follicular development. The eggs do not mature enough to be released, which is what we call normally ovulation. And as a result, progesterone is not produced. So this is our second symptom, ovulatory dysfunction. And ovulatory dysfunction can manifest as irregular, heavy or missed periods and also spotting. And those eggs not maturing enough um, can show on ultrasounds as cysts. So a collection of 12 or more of those egg follicles on the ovaries, they may be larger than normal, and then they will show a cyst, and these are called polycystic ovaries, and this is the third criteria for PCOS. And usually um, on the outer symptom uh, will be pain in the sides of the lower abdomen where the ovaries are located. So depending on the underlying causes of PCOS, many other metabolic symptoms can be present, which I'm sure we'll cover in a moment.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. Well, I, I remember our, our first uh, conversation about, about this subject, uh, Svetlana, mm-hmm. and then... Um, one of the one of the very important things we talked about and um, that there are so many different symptoms and many different types of pcos yes. and it gets really confusing for us women to get our head around it and and i think um especially we like to jump into conclusions and if we experience one of the symptoms from the list and mm-hmm. um, that there is a risk that we self-diagnose ourselves, that we definitely got that PCOS. So it's it's quite important to remember what you've just said, Svetlana, that we should look for more than just one symptom because, because for instance, if you you are losing your hair, one of the reasons may be hormonal changes, but it it may also be caused by medication or iron deficiency or overgrowth of ringworm. So always look for more than just one symptom and, you know, in an ideal world, discuss it with your health practitioner. Um, And you you also mentioned that not every woman who is diagnosed with PCOS will have polycystic ovaries. And there is a lot of confusion about polycystic ovaries and PCOS. Can you actually tell us a, a difference between these two?
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, this is a very interesting point you're making. Is that you can have polycystic ovaries and not be labelled as diagnosed as PCOS, and conversely, you can have PCOS or have be labelled as have you know being diagnosed with PCOS without having polycystic ovaries, because the the key eliminatory um, criteria is the high levels of androgens. And so actually 33% of women would show polycystic ovaries on ultrasound at any time. And that is simply because um, this growth of multiple follicles is characteristic of the menstrual cycle of the follicular phase, which is the one from uh, the end of the period up to ovulation when um, the ovaries produce uh, or mature uh, eggs to result in the ovulation
0: so okay I am I'm am a simple girl from a countryside and uh, I do live in a big big city uh, city of London but I love simplification and and I would like to relate to what you just said, because I think for our audience, it will be quite helpful to to kind of uh, explain what you just said in a, in a, in a layman's words. So if you don't mind, I will I will I will try and please correct me if I'm say, saying things wrong. So polycystic ovaries may be absolutely normal as they are not a disease. It is just a variant of normal ovaries. And you may not even know that you have it because there are no symptoms associated with it. And you find about it usually by a chance when you have an ultrasound scan done, but with PCOS, so polycystic ovary syndrome, mm-hmm. you've mentioned it's a metabolic condition, which mm-hmm. is associated with unbalanced hormones and it will give you lots of very symptoms. So if the way I think about it is that Mother Nature created us in, in the way that everything works perfectly and if something doesn't work perfectly, our body will tell us. So,
1: Absolutely. With,
0: so with polycystic ovaries, it is a normal state of ovaries, therefore you won't have any symptoms, but with PCOS... You, your body will be communicating with you and sometimes your body will be shouting that there is something <laughs> wrong, right?
1: And yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, you know, the saying, if you're not listening to it whispering, you'll have to, you know, to listen to it screaming at you, you know.
0: Absolutely, and, and, and that communication um, is done by those various symptoms. So, would you agree with my simplification of what you've just explained?
1: It's absolutely right. The only small nuance I would, uh, because, you know, the devil is in the details, the small nuance I would add to this is that um, these polycystic ovaries are normal. However, they can also, um, let's say, degenerate into abnormalities Mm -hmm. and cause labels, diagnoses like multifollicular ovaries which is quite different from PCOS. That's right.
0: Okay. Right. Okay. Well, thank you for for clarifying that because it's a quite important uh, detail. But so let's move on to the next level of complexity. I I I know hormonal health has got so many different layers, but um, but let's just try to uh, uh, to help our audience to to get their head around it. So when it comes to PCOS, it's not just one PCOS, but many different types. And um, one is insulin resistant PCOS. The other one is post-peel PCOS. Then you've got inflammatory PCOS. Then you've got adrenal PCOS. Oh my God, it's it's getting more and more and more and more and more and more and more. more. What makes them different?
1: Well, this is a point where I like to make a simplification actually. Oh, I would love that. Because now this is my very own personal point of view. um, But essentially, I view PCOS as a metabolic disorder. It crystallizes on the ovaries, but it engages the whole body and its systems. And if you look at those types and consider them rather as causes, then um, it helps to... uh, explain why women can change from one type of PCOS to another throughout their lifetime. Uh, So, but just for the sake of it, um, let's review them quickly. So um, insulin resistant PCOS represents 70% of the cases. The symptoms are uh, weight gain specifically around the belly, which is very hard to lose, skin tags and pigmentation, uh, sugar, carb cravings, again, uh, excessive levels of androgens, and irregular periods. Post-pill, PCOS, usually uh, you will have no period at all, and you had no symptoms before the pill. And also another criteria that shows in the blood test will have that you have a high ratio of luteinizing hormone versus follicle stimulating hormones, which are Um, cycle-related hormones. In the inflammatory PCOS, the major symptoms will be sore joints, body aches, headaches, fatigue, and food sensitivities, so all symptoms of chronic inflammation. And in the adrenal PCOS, uh, you will have mostly fatigue, low resistance to stress, poor sleep, and also in the blood test you will have a high level of DHEA which is a steroid hormones produced by the adrenals. So again I'd like to emphasize the fact that the boundaries are rather blurred because for instance adrenal activity is higher than normal in people with insulin resistance and the pill causes inflammation in the body and adrenal activity is increased when inflammation is present. So you see they're rather arbitrary and boundaries because all those Simpsons are, you know, strongly connected with each other. And um, one other point that is a little bit more far out there, but which I find interesting to consider, is PCOS from a symbolic metaphysical perspective. So when you think about it, the ovaries are the seat of a woman's creative engine. All her seeds, her eggs live there. And in PCOS, those eggs do not mature. They're not released out into the world. And how does this translate? You may not be generating or spreading your ideas to the world. Or perhaps you have not realized yet that you are the creator and director of your own life. I would suggest considering those questions because they've been very helpful for me personally during my healing journey. Um, Are you consciously or unconsciously creating your world? Do you feel aligned with the work that you do? Is your vocation a fantastic expression of who you are, or does it just pay the bills? What areas of your life do you feel unexpressed or unfulfilled? And one last thing that I'd like to do that was very um, dear to me in my healing journey is, again, that the key symptom of PCOS is excess androgens. And androgens are essentially um, male hormones. Um, So for me, exploring my femininity and my feminine side was instrumental, I would say, in healing from an emotional perspective.
0: Wow, I, sorry, I've absolutely loved those questions and um, and you know what I think I'm just going to Listen to our podcast uh, when we finish and I'm just going to write those questions down and I When I do my reflection time, mm. I'm just going to write down the answer whatever when I when I I think those questions would be would be uh, very valid to ask when when we meditate because we are in a very relaxed state of mind and um, hopefully we switching off our conscious mind and then sub- subconscious mind is actually helping us to answer those questions. Um, and also, I just wanted to say thank you for explaining all those various symptoms. And I'm very pleased that you actually think about them as different causes rather than types, because, you know, Sadly we live in a world where we love to label everything. You know, our Western medicine loves putting a box with a sticker and a name on it. Yes. Just keep prescribing drugs when, you know, yep. when yep. when we take some of the boxes. Um but they you know what they miss is, is is that holistic approach and that thorough assessment of the whole system. And you know what? Um it also saddens me even even more when when well, my clients come to me with hormonal problems and, and let me tell you, pretty much every single lady listening to this podcast have some level of hormonal issues. They wouldn't be listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Every single gapster struggles with them at some point. Uh, but I just wanted to come back to my point. i as digress. It really saddens me to, to learn that around nine out of ten clients I see are on a contraceptive pill, and that contraceptive pill, pill is the quickest uh, kind of solution from from the Western medicine to deal with, um, with those hormonal imbalances. But, um, but as you and I know, that, that the pill actually causes further inflammation in the body. Yes, but, yes. Um, but I just wanted to, 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 to ask a very direct question. Is there a cure for PCOS?
1: Uh It's the million-dollar question, isn't it?
0: I know, I know. But you're an expert, so you're going to give us some insight. (laughs)
1: Um, Look, uh, clearly the medical community agrees that there is no cure for PCOS, nor for any chronic condition for that matter. Mm. And I'm sure with uh, all your years of experience in the GAPS uh, community, you must have a lot of people that have tried with conventional medicine and weren't happy with the results and decided to explore alternative? All of them. All of them. (laughs) So I'm not going to get into a detailed cost-benefit analysis, but it's obvious that keeping patients under medication for their whole life is more lucrative from a manufacturer point of view than healing them. But nevertheless, you and I both know that, um, you know, there are countless reports of patients who cured chronic autoimmune illnesses with natural alternative methods. So it's, it's, it's a matter of, you know, what you can prove in random, you know, double-blind uh, studies versus personal experience. Mm.
0: I totally agree with you that um that, that natural holistic approach, although sometimes it takes much longer than taking a pill, and um, and and the journey may be even more bumpy, mm-hmm. it helps treat the root cause and not only mask the symptoms because that's what peel does. Peel just basically masks the symptoms, but it doesn't uh solve the problem. And um and I really want to talk uh, talk about the way you actually help your clients with homeopathy, and and we will explore explore that in a minute because I think our audience really want to learn. Okay, so what do I do? What do I do here? But um, but let let's just kind of you know summarize. We've we've so far we've talked about PCOS symptoms, how it differs from polycystic ovaries, various causes, and and we very briefly touched on the cure, but. Could you tell us who is actually the biggest risk of getting PCOS?
1: That's a very interesting question because, you know, as we mentioned earlier, nowadays it's nearly one in 10 women has a PCOS. So it's a rather scary number when you think about it. Um, so over the past 20 years, there's been growing evidence that PCOS is related to insulin resistance. And as we said, insulin resistant PCOS makes up for 70% of the cases. So the remaining 30% are attributed to genetic predisposition. So the hypothesis of a genetic predisposition to PCOS that is triggered by the development of insulin resistance through, you know, diet and lifestyle choices is, you know, gaining ground. So, what is interesting in that uh, fact is that, you know, there is definitely a role for genetic predisposition, and it's undeniable, but I like to focus more on the role of epigenetics. And epigenetics is, you know, the science that shows how environmental factors, both internal and external, critically determine the expression of genes, And it was Dr. Bruce Lipton, uh, who really has a a fantastic way of, of, um, you know, talking about all those topics. He pioneered this field of research in the 80s, and his work revealed that the environment controls the behavior and the physiology of the cell, turning genes on and off. So genes, yes, but personal responsibility as well, and clearly the role of lifestyle, diet... You know, mental discipline, stress management, all of that can make or break one's destiny when it comes to manifesting disease.
0: Oh, I love I absolutely love how you refer to Dr. Bruce Lipton and, and his work on epigenetics. I love his work. I um you know, quite often when I when I talk with my clients, I so many times I just hear My mom had this problem, my father had that problem, I did a genetic test, and so on and so on. And all I hear is the fear of dealing with the same health challenges their parents and grandparents did. But but in reality, genetic testing do not need to mean, let's call it a health prison sentence. And frankly, quite often, as you've mentioned, changing the lifestyle, changing the diet, working on your mindset, the stress levels, addressing the sleep patterns and supporting the body with natural remedies will will pretty much allow us to, well, switch off those genes. Correct. Um, but, but we need to start somewhere, right? And we need to do something about it because... Um, if we don't do anything we're not going to get any results so so can you perhaps tell us if if we don't do anything about about it um, what medical problems are are we at risk uh, for can for instance pcos affect our chances of getting pregnant for instance
1: yeah so i um i it's far, you know, be it for me to go into, you know, scaring kind of tactics, but um, there are a few facts that are worth um, knowing about. The first one is that more than 50% of women with PCOS will have diabetes or pre-diabetes before the age of 40. And the second one is that the risk of heart attack is four to seven times higher. Wow. Yeah, which is considerable, and also women with PCOS are at a higher risk of uh, developing high blood pressure. So, um, as far as getting pregnant is concerned, I'd say the sh- the short answer is that it depends whether there is ovulation or not.
0: Mm-hmm. And you know what, you you're absolutely right. You know, we, first of all, we uh, we don't want to use uh, scare tactics to to inspire people to start. Yeah. Uh, heal, the healing journey because because that's what the that's what big pharma does right it's not that <laughs> um but um obviously we will be talking um about uh, some of the solutions in a second but i do have one more burning question i actually have got few more but this is this is a this is a burning question um which uh, which i just wanted to explore with you Svetlana like i've listened to one of of Dr. Natasha's uh, Campbell McBride interviews, and she mentioned that acne is a possible connector to to autoimmune issues. So, so I would like uh, I would like to hear more about that connection. Mm, I know I know a lot of uh, women who are listening to to our podcast. they probably um, would like to hear that answer as well because so many with PCOS, they also deal with other autoimmune issues like Hashimoto's and and Dr. Natasha uh, actually suggested that PCOS may be an autoimmune condition. So I would love to get some some of your insights in that uh, in that subject.
1: You're absolutely right. And of course, uh, Dr. Natasha Campbell-Marbride is is always right uh, as far Isn't as she right? <laughs> <laughs> she just she's just like a Cassandra you know predicting uh, 10 20 years ahead uh, what science only comes you know to recognize at the moment at least as far as PCOS is concerned
0: Oh, absolutely, and and concerning uh, other aspects, like I'm just going to give you a very quick um, story. Sorry, 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 ladies who and and gentlemen who are listening to this podcast, but um, but I spent uh, a week with Dr. Natasha in January, and at her farm, I absolutely loved it. But one of the stories uh, Dr. Natasha told me, and I hope she doesn't mean uh, mind me sharing this story. When she studied uh, medicine in Russia many years ago, and and she's a qualified neurosurgeon, so she was cutting lots of brains back in the day. Back in the day in Russia, they were already teaching uh, medical students about microbiome, about microbiota. It wasn't called that way, but they already had... Lectures about those living organisms affecting the rest of the system. Yet when she moved to the UK and she studied at that another medical um, subject, um, there wasn't anything about microbiome. And only microbiome started being kind of popular and um, around 10-15 years ago when i've researched the scientific studies about microbiome is the the, 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 uh, uh, the only kind of case studies uh, scientific reports date from early 2000 um mm-hmm. but yeah sorry i'm really sorry but coming back to the question about about um <laughs>
1: No, this is this I didn't know that and it's very it's very interesting there is definitely a probably maybe a clash is a strong word but a discrepancy uh, you know between from one um, you know from one country or from one region to another with different you know interests in um, mm. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, yeah Absolutely. so yeah to answer your question PCOS can be classified as an autoimmune condition. And the reason is the following. So normally, uh, after ovulation, progesterone kicks in. And the production of progesterone is signaled by the corpus luteus, which is a, a byproduct of ovulation. And since ovulation is defective in many women with PCOS, this results in lower progesterone levels. And those low levels of progesterone, they cause overstimulation of the immune system to produce more estrogen, which leads to various antibodies. And those high levels of antibodies Mm -hmm. allow PCOS to be labeled as an autoimmune condition. And there is an association between PCOS and autoimmune diseases like lupus and Hashimoto's that has been documented, yeah.
0: Yeah, so so again, just just confirming, Doctor Natasha is always right. Yes. Um, but okay, I think we had enough of the symptoms, causes, epigenetics, risk. So I just wanted to move on to 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 get some inspiration and talk about solutions. And um and when we when we spoke um uh, previously, you you shared your personal story, and I. And I felt that that your story is so inspiring, and and I believe if you could share that your story, it will instill some hope and help women to actually take action and empower them to start a healing journey. And so one of the things I recall um, when we chatted about your healing journey, and um, that you were focusing on um, on gas pro- protocol when when trying to. Uh, heal your hormonal uh, health so can you tell us a little bit more about what was the reason you chose it and how did the GAPS journey go for you and and what other healing mod- modalities were you focusing on?
1: Yes I'm very happy to share that with you so I was vegetarian bordering on vegan for four or five years uh, at the time and I developed PCOS during that time um also my lifestyle was very unhealthy and I I realize now you know looking back that it was definitely the precipitating cause to 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 developing that. So eventually I started meat again eating meat again but I experienced a lot of digestive issues and I knew that my diet was faulty. And then I came across a paper that explores the link between leaky gut and PCOS. Mm. And it made total sense. You know, leaky gut leading to chronic low-grade inflammation, which, by the way, has emerged as a key contributor to the pathogenesis, so the, 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 the creation of PCOS, along with oxidative stress. So by the time I discovered GAPS, I was quite desperate, so I gave it a try on my own. And i applied the basic principles so little to no carbs or sugars no fiber you know lots of broth grass-fed meats raw dairy fermented foods and gaps gave me great relief but it didn't solve my problem and basically because what i wanted was to be symptom-free and probably because I didn't go through the intro and I folded it loosely or perhaps I just didn't have the patience. Anyways, at some point I consulted a homeopath and the transformation was so profound I decided to research the topic. And let's just say I fell into the rabbit hole and I came out the other side, transformed into a homeopath. Mm -hmm. So today, um, you know, the GAPS diet plays still... um, is, um, has a special place in my heart, and I continue to apply the GAPS principles, although in our household we allow ourselves, you know, some oats, wine, coffee, and little sugary treats from time to time. But for instance, um, a couple of months back, my partner had to take life-saving antibiotics, and during his treatment and for the following weeks, we we're full on GAPS, you know, bro, broth and sauerkraut juice at every meal, uh, supplemented with probiotics and, and, of course, homeopathy to restore his microbiome.
0: And you know what? And I, 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 I agree. Uh, it's so hard and confusing to do GAPS protocol on your own. And, and I'm, I'm so pleased to hear that actually it gave you a solid foundation on your healing journey. And when, when I reflect on my and my client's healing journey, I don't think diet is the only solution to healing. You can you, I'm going to say something controversial in here, but um, but hear me out. You can eat the most healing nutritious foods and you may not heal at all. Um, and this is why and this is why as a as, as as gaps coach and nutritional therapist, I focus not only on gaps, but also on adjusting lifestyle on looking for strategies which are going to calm down that nervous system, um, techniques to restore drainage and detoxification system. And and to be fair, working very closely with you, Svetlana, on homeopathic remedies, because you are an expert in hormonal health, and, and also you went through gaps yourself, so I Totally trust you when I refer the most stubborn hormonal cases to you. Well, just just to give a, a, a very quick um, context for 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 the for the, our audience, if you have a minor hormonal issues, GAPS, gaps is wonderful. Mm-hmm. GAPS is absolutely not wonderful, and you can probably do it yourself without. Um, without any um, professional support Um, but for more stubborn cases Svetlana and her homeopathy works wonders and by the way Dr Natasha recommends uh, homeopathy as well Uh, so just think about it GAPS is that foundation for healing and if you've got more stubborn cases um, there are other mod- modalities which are going to address it. And I think your story, Svetlana, is a, is a, is a great example of how it worked. Um, so I would like to focus on, a, on some of the treatments which are available in your, in your healing toolbox as a homeopath. How, how does homeopathy support hormonal health?
1: Um, yeah, uh, sorry. I just wanted to say thank you for your honesty, Monica, because it's you know, um, it, it, I'm sure it's um, you know, being um, an expert in in gaps and you know, coaching all those uh, clients, uh, it is it is fantastic that uh, you know that what you just said about um, diet being a key you know to healing but there are so many other factors that are equally important and i i just like to view them as as obstacles to to healing and because you know food is such an important part of ourselves of literally it's literally the building blocks of who we are Mm. so it's the most obvious obstacle but there are just a few other obstacles that are equally important to address and that can that can halt uh, the progress absolutely,
0: absolutely.
1: Um, so about homeopathy um, homeopathy treats individuals not diseases so you mentioned earlier you know the standardized protocol of one diagnosis one you know one medication of the conventional medical system. Yeah. Instead, in homeopathy, we look at the whole individual, uh, physically, emotionally, mentally, and even spiritually to find the most adapted treatment. And homeopathy stimulates the body's natural healing capacity to restore balance at all levels from within. Let me explain this. So you know what the Chinese call qi and the Hindus call prana? We homeopaths we call it the vital force, uh, which has a bit of a Star Wars kind of kind of it, feeling.
0: It, it does, it does, but it sounds good.
1: <laughs> so this vital force holds a vibrational resonance, a frequency, if you like. and any distortion in this frequency will manifest on the physical plane as symptoms. So symptoms are messengers. They signal that something is, is a wall, is wrong at the foundational energetic level. We homeopaths, we treasure symptoms, and we take a lot of time to listen to our patients, to collect them, in direct opposition to the conventional approach, which is to suppress every symptom, kill the messenger, pretend there's nothing going on, right? Right. So homeopathic remedies, they stimulate the vital force in the body. And the appropriate remedy, selected according to the manifesting symptoms, has the ability to fine-tune the vibrational frequency of the vital force back to its optimal level. So it really is energy-based healing. And what I find most wonderful is that homeopathy works for physical symptoms, but also emotional and mental symptoms. Because, you know, grief, depression, suicidal thoughts, phobias, anxiety, they're not normal. They're all deviations from our natural, healthy, happy state. So homeopathy addresses trapped emotions, unresolved trauma, and even intergenerational trauma.
0: I love that. I love that. And I love, I love, I love that uh, vital force. Let the force be with you.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: But, uh, <laughs> but this is so important. Um, so many of us ignore those unresolved traumas, trapped emotion. And as you mentioned, they quite often hinder our healing. And uh, it's great. It's great to learn that homeopathy focuses on it as well. So can we actually say that homeopathy works by, I don't know, stimulating the healing power and restoring the natural hormonal balance in the body without the need of medication?
1: That's exactly it.
0: Okay, great. So tell me what, what other tools do you use when you work with your clients?
1: Um, so as you mentioned earlier, uh, the, there are many obstacles to, to healing, and obviously they need to be addressed and removed. So no amount of homeopathy or, you know, or GAPS diet can heal someone who persists with poor lifestyle choices or toxic situations. Um, so GAPS uh, obviously is you know, essential uh, simply because of its focus on good health, and the way it supports good health. And other factors are vitamin D deficiency, quality of sleep, stress, chronic stress, mm. uh, lack of movement, uh, and exposure to environmental toxin like EMFs or endocrine disruptors. But in my opinion, equally important are healthy relationships, Sex, community and sense of connection with others, overall sense of purpose and fulfillment in one's life, which has been proven also to have a direct impact on health and longevity.
0: And you know what? We do have we do have a a, a very nice question about sex and libido (laughs) and we will be talking about the, the fun stuff in part two. But um, but I hope that our listeners um, understand the importance of a, of a holistic approach after hear, hearing us chatting about health, uh, because there is absolutely no one-size-fits-all uh, solution. And, and only assessing all the factors, um, one can work on the physical, emotional, and mental healing. Um, so... I'm sure that our listeners are very good to hear some practical tips from an expert. Uh, so, Svetlana, if you were to give three most powerful tools to help with hormonal balance, please, please share your secrets with our audience.
1: I'd love to. So I assume that all our listeners are already on the GAPS diet, so I'll just stick with non-dietary tips. And sure. the, the, the key in PCOS is, um, and there is mounting evidence pointing towards that, is that um, the underlying trigger involved in PCOS is chronic low grade inflammation and oxidative stress. And um, they cause or worsen obesity and insulin resistance and vitamin vitamin D deficiency. Whereas in the past, we used to think that, oh, it's obesity that is causing inflammation that is causing PCOS, and it turns out it's the opposite. It's chronic inflammation and oxidative stress that cause insulin resistance, the mechanism leading to obesity, vitamin D deficiency, Um, you know, overactive immune system and all of that. Mm. So really what is important is to uh, limit this low-grade inflammation and oxidative stress. So the GAPS diet already focuses on, on, you know, healing leaky gut, which is probably a a huge, you know, contributor to low-grade inflammation so beyond uh, the GAPS diet, I would say my tip number one would be to learn to manage stress because stress is inevitable, inevitable and it's part of life, but how you respond is your choice. And it's, you know, it's well known that um, chronic, uh, you know, chronic stress uh, causes illness. It causes increased cortisol levels. So explore ways to stimulate your parasympathetic nervous system, which is the one responsible for the rest and digest function. And it seems that the vagus nerve plays a critical role here. Uh, Ways to increase vagal tone are breath work, humming, singing, laughter, laughing, cold exposure, yoga, and meditation.
0: I love that list. I absolutely love that list, and I I hundred percent agree. Uh, stress stress can hinder your healing big time. Yeah. And uh, and I like that you've listed singing and humming and. And I'm sure we've got we've got lovely ladies listening to our podcast thinking I'm not going to sing. I cannot <laughs> sing. Listen, I cannot sing at all. Yet my husband has to deal with my daily singing. I sing in the shower. You don't have to spend more time on it. <laughs> I sing in the shower, I sing when I cook, and one of the most wonderful singing experience which I actually um, share with my husband, we play um one of the chants called Ramada Sam. If you google Ramada Sam, mm-hmm. uh, it will it will it will come you can you can, you can find it on youtube it's a 12 minute chanting ramadasan and my husband and i we do it every day together we do it when we are together in the kitchen so we don't plan for it it just naturally happens and it's so healing and and also it 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 made our relationship so much stronger Mm -hmm. um so thank you for those tips but um but yeah you've got a few more you wanted to share
1: yeah, um, it, it doesn't the food taste so much nicer when you sing while you prepare it.
0: Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. And I'm just going to again, I'm gosh, I'm uh, digressing so much, but um, but very quick story. Yeah. I've actually started enjoying eating foods with my fingers, and I'm loving the taste of it so much. I yeah uh, I do I do look like a child sometimes when I have my uh, I don't know chicken leg in key and I just smear it all over my plate and put it in my mouth. My husband just looks at me, he rolls his eyes and he laughs at me. I was like, I don't care, I'm enjoying it even more.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I 100% agree with you there. Um, is there any other way to eat chicken than with your fingers, really? Yeah. So um, my other two tips would be, first one would be to create a more healthy environment. It doesn't mean that you have to invest in expensive equipment. It's simple things like switch off the Wi-Fi router at night and turn your phones on airplane mode at night and as much as you can, you know, ground as often as possible. Grounding, which is just walking barefoot on natural, um, you know, on grass and sand and it's It's also been shown to significantly reduce inflammation. You can uh, naturally increase your vitamin D by exposing your eyes to morning sunlight without sunglasses and um, and the endocrine disruptors um, look for them. You know, basically, any chemical, any man-made chemical, has the capacity to be an endocrine disruptor and to disrupt your hormonal balance. So, um, in the, in the non-food um, endocrine disruptors, you have non-stick cookware, which is a big one, which you can replace with ceramic or cast iron, and also, you know, plastic containers, home cleaning product, body care, makeup, beauty products, all of this. Just look at the ingredients list. Anything that is unpronounceable, that has more than three syllables, guaranteed it's a hormone disruptor oh gosh i agree and uh, the last tip would be just to move more because you will produce feel-good hormones and sleep better which is in itself it's already great also exercise increases insulin sensitivity and You will also stimulate the lymphatic system. The lymphatic system is responsible for cleaning the body, thus lowering inflammation. So it's very simple. Just find an activity you love and commit to it three, four times a week. You know, make it a date with yourself. Put it down in your calendar. Consider it it like any other meeting in your calendar. And extra bonus points for mind-body activities like Tai Chi and yoga, which... um, are shown again in studies to lower inflammation or muscle building sports like you know lifting weights or something like that you know what
0: um one 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 last thought on um what you mentioned about making a date with yourself i i i so love this idea because quite often we we neglect ourselves and we are we we care about our kids, we care about our husbands, our partners, um our cousins, our friends, our neighbors, but we are the last one. So having that appointment that with ourselves. Put it in a put it in the diary. And now lots of people are thinking, oh, but I cannot go to Zumba because we are during the lockdown. Mm-hmm. Well, there are so many options. Like there are so many class online classes. Um, and you could actually do it in your living room. You can just put some YouTube music on and start doing dancing or Zumba yeah, yeah. Um, or doing yoga on your, or, or on your floor. But um, it's a great list of very practical tips, Svetlana. And I'm, I'm so grateful for this insightful discussion. And I'm sure it helped many, many listeners to, to understand their hormonal health a bit better. And and for those who would like to contact you for further hormonal consultation, they can obviously find you in our uh, Facebook group, How to Gaps. But what? But other than, than than that, can you please share what is the best way to, to reach out to you? Um,
1: yes. So the there is a website called dynamize.com uh, co.co, on which you can uh, easily then send me an email, contact me. I also have a Facebook page. If you type in your Facebook search bar, Svetlana Health Coach, uh, the, the, the page will show up. Great, And um, I just wanted to say, Monica, thank you again so much for having me today. It's really been an honor and a great pleasure to chat with you. And it's my uh, sincere hope that, um, you know, that women first realize that PCOS is not a fatality. It's not, you know, something they have to live with for the rest of their lives. Um, There are options out there and if you know if if our talk was enough to ignite some curiosity and you know the, the desire to look for those solutions then then uh, that would make me already very happy
0: you cannot see my a massive smile on my face now <laughs> i have i've so enjoyed our our conversations with svetlana i'm so 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 grateful that you've shared your wisdom, your knowledge, your experience, and I bet there is uh, there are so many women listening to this podcast thinking, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start. I'm going to take I'm going to take ownership of my health, and I will start um, applying some of the tips you you've shared. Um, and please do reach out to us, either to Svetlana or myself if you need a little bit more professional help. So this is the end of part one of our podcast about hormonal health. Um, In the second part, Svetlana will be answering questions from our How To GAPS community members. And if you are listening to this podcast and you have no idea what How To GAPS community is, um, please go to to Facebook and find our group. It's called How To GAPS. To us a number or go to our website which is www.howtogaps.com again to us a number and when you join us just say hello tell us if you listen to our podcast tell us what you've liked and tell us what you would like to learn from our future podcast and we will make it happen and this podcast is made uh, by listeners like you so please share this podcast with people who may benefit from it thank you thank you thank you so much for your support and again thank you svetlana for your insight and see see you soon see you soon in part two